0: We are going to be making our way back to Luke chapter 1 this morning. As I mentioned last week, in case you missed it, we will be, after the turn of the year, beginning a study through the first book in the Bible, through Genesis. Uh, It's going to take us all of next year to make it through it, if we can make it through it in a year, but we are going to be working on that. But in the meantime, as we headed towards the holiday season, uh, decided to look at the Christmas story uh, in depth. And so we began last week in Luke chapter 1 through the first 38 verses, and what we found is that we were introduced to two character groups, beginning with Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And so as Zacharias was there serving in the temple, just doing what God had called him to do, he was met by the Lord and actually met by an angel, specifically the angel Gabriel who gave him a word that he and his wife Elizabeth, even after all their years, well into their lives, beyond the age of childbearing, that his wife would in fact bear a child. That her womb that was previously barren would be opened and they would give birth to a child, and he would be a son, and his name would be John. And this John that he was referring to specifically is uh, John the Baptist, so not John the Revelator or John the Apostle, but instead uh, JTB. John the Baptist would be the son that Elizabeth would give birth to. But as Zacharias got this word from Gabriel, he reacted by not believing. He didn't believe what the angel Gabriel had said to him, and as a result, his mouth was shut. In fact, the old King James Version says he was rendered dumb. And so because of a lack of belief, he could not speak. In fact, what I read for you last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13 says this, that since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. And it's interesting that when we do not believe, the reality is we don't actually have anything worth sharing. We cannot speak anything of any real value into anyone's life if we do not believe what God's Word says. And so this is the spot Zacharias is in. He did not believe, therefore he could not speak. Now, when we advanced ourselves to verses 26-38, we were introduced to Mary, the virgin Mary who received her own word from the angel Gabriel, speaking of a miraculous birth that she would experience, but this of the Holy Spirit, that she would actually be the mother of Messiah, prophesied for thousands of years leading up to this date. And Mary was the recipient of the Spirit and recipient of the child who would go on to become Jesus, the Christ. And as the angel spoke to her in verse 37, she's her mind is trying to get wrapped around this. He says to her, For With God, nothing will be impossible. And translated in the American Standard Version, I like the way this read, that for no word from God shall be void of power. That there is no word that comes from God that will not have power to back it up. And so what we find is Mary believing this word. She says to to, uh, the angel Gabriel in the words of Paul McCartney, Let it be. Feels like Paul maybe ripped this off. And so she says to the angel, let it be according to the word that you've shared with me. And so it happened according to the word of God given by the angel Gabriel. But God didn't just leave her in that spot now in this place pregnant as a teenage girl with no community. He had her go to her cousin Elizabeth's house And what I shared with you there is God is always seeking to put us in community, not isolate us. And oftentimes He puts us in community with people just a little bit further ahead. Elizabeth was six months ahead of where Mary was at. And so God placed her in community there with Elizabeth. And that's where we pick up on our story in verse 39. Now, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy." And so we see the babe that was inside Elizabeth's womb, that of John the Baptist, literally jumping for joy at the arrival of the Messiah. And it brings about a good point of discussion, especially in the day and age we are in, about when does life begin? When is a life really a life? And people want to debate it on both sides, but what I see and the side I choose to take is what God says is that here is life literally praising inside the womb of Elizabeth. And so this unborn, undervalued, oftentimes unprotected life was worshiping. I don't know if that's enough life for people, but it's certainly enough for me. Here's a baby literally worshiping the true and living God inside the womb. But what it also caused me to act, ask myself is that here's John, yet unborn, and he's praising Jesus. He is worshiping Jesus. What then excuse do I have? Uh, for years I sat in worship just, muttering, uh, acting like I was worshiping, pretending, going along with things, but never did worship actually happen. What excuse do I have if this unborn babe is able to worship? Why not me? But the reality was uh, I could not worship because I, I did not have the Holy Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, what I have found in my life is that you will not be able to not worship. You will be moved In worship, You won't be able to help it as the Spirit comes upon you. And so if you struggle in worship, I'd encourage you to pray for the Spirit to come upon you and see what He might do with that. Now, verse 45, she continues, Elizabeth speaking to Mary and says, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So she is greeting Mary and what she said, but blessed are you Mary for your biblical knowledge. Blessed are you, Mary, for your religion. No, that's not what she says. She says, blessed are you because you believed. Mary was blessed because of her belief. Not her intellect, not her biblical knowledge, not her religiosity, but because of her belief. And this, friends, is the key to blessing. If you're wanting to know how to be blessed, here's the key. If you take anything away from today, believe. If you want to be blessed believe. If you come in cynical, doubtful, arms crossed, I'm going to get nothing out of this today, guess what? You're going to get nothing out of it. You've already decided ahead of time. And you know who's really robbed? It's not God. God believes His Word. It's it's you. It's me. When we don't believe, we're the ones that are actually cheated in this deal. Because God's going to do what He said He's going to do. His Word is going to come to pass. The believing part, the receiving of the blessing, that's on me and so what we find is elizabeth giving mary this first merry christmas only it wasn't m-e-r-r-y it was m-a-r-y mary it's christmas there's a christ celebration happening right here today but mary's faith played an active role in her receiving of a promise of god it's important to note that our faith plays a role in all this That God gives His word, but if we choose not to believe it, there's no blessing going to be received. And so Mary believes the promise of God, and she's encouraged then to take an active role in the relationship. That when God gives us a word, we have to be active inside that relationship. It's not our works that produces any kind of blessing. It's not our works that produces faith. It's faith that produces a work. This is how we're called to live, that because we believe the faith works is actually the outcropping of me believing in what God has said He would do. And so there's excitement for Mary. She can't wait to fulfill what God has for her. She can't wait to get out there and get after it because God's Word said so. And what we find is that He always does what He says He's going to do. Now verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary's soul and spirit were rejoicing when do you know what was happening in her flesh? Her body was changing, right? So I don't know if this will come as a surprise to you all, but I have never uh, actually been pregnant. This never happened to me. Um, But I have been around people who have become pregnant and who have gone through the pregnancy process. I have witnessed it with people I live with firsthand. And what happens is the body changes. Hormones and emotions and physical changes and all these things beginning to happen. And, and amazingly, what happens is, is tears sometimes over things. I'm not sure why we're crying. Why, why are people crying right now? I don't know, but yet the tears flow down. And I remember as Angela was pregnant with our first daughter, Cameron, we were up at a 20-22 week time frame, up to Champagne, to the doctor, and she was hungry for a turkey sandwich, but no mayo. She didn't like mayo, mustard only. And so I made my way into the Panera Bread to secure for my bride a turkey sandwich with uh, no mayo. And what I arrived with as I came out to the car Was a turkey sandwich that had, you guessed it, mayonnaise. And then it started to happen. The tears. And I'm like, are we crying over mayonnaise? We're crying right now. So what am I to do? I'm the king of my castle. I march back into the evil Panera Bread and I say, listen, you've wronged us. There's mayonnaise on the sandwich. There must be mustard, no mayonnaise. And so they made another sandwich and I come back to the car and you know what happened. They this time did give mayonnaise with mustard together. The combination was not what we are looking for. Mustard only and now we're on a full on cry. Because all she wanted was a turkey sandwich. And me reacting now in my flesh, I've been emotionally moved. I did what guys do. Uh, I proceeded to get angry. And I took the Panera sandwich, this is pre-Jesus, kids, so there you go. Before Jesus, I took the Panera sandwich, and I threw it at the front glass of the Panera bread and champagne, and it hit the glass, and it ran down, mayonnaise and mustard and all. Now we've got real tears, right? Because we have no sandwich, and, and I'm upset. But we, we eventually arrived at another Restaurant and got her a turkey and cheese sandwich. So it all turned out okay, and I don't go back to that Panera Bread anymore. But what I'm saying is, we tend to react oftentimes based upon what's happened to our flesh, right? As our flesh changes and experiences things, often we react to how does this make me feel? How does this affecting me? And what Mary is saying here is that in spite of her flesh changing, in spite of emotion and all the things she's feeling, she decides to still worship. You see, we were made three in one. We are flesh, we are body, we are soul, that's our seat of our emotions, and we are spirit. And what God has called us into a relationship with Him in is one of spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 4 that we worship Him in spirit and in truth. So when we're called into a relationship to worship, it's not a fleshly relationship. We have to convince the flesh to do it, but it's one of spirit. And emotionally, I have to make a decision, even if I don't feel like it. Even if I'm struggling in this moment, am I going to overcome that and adhere to what the Spirit says and worship Him in spirit and in truth? And so for Mary in this spot, she is able to worship because she has not lost sight, not of who she is, but of whose she is. She is the daughter of a king. And so she was able to worship, realizing that here's the reality, she was chosen. Even if it was hard, even if she had to go away from her family for a time, even in in light of the embarrassment that no doubt was happening and the whispers that were taking place, she was called by God, chosen by God. In fact, what Paul would write concerning us specifically, one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you're a highlighter, I'd encourage you to highlight this one. What Paul writes is, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were His workmanship. The word in the Greek is the word poema. It's where our word poem comes from. We are literally a beautiful poem that God has put together, not just so that we can spin around and do nothing with it, but for good works that He has prepared beforehand for us. This was a good work that Mary had had prepared beforehand by God. She was chosen and set apart as His poem, and so are you and I. Created for good works. Now continuing here, Mary says in verse 48, verse 48, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms, and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy and has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Here's Mary in this spot praising Him for the victory that would be the birth of this child who, by the way, wasn't born yet. She was proclaiming victory before victory ever occurred. That's some kind of faith you realize that God has actually given us the ability to have that kind of faith. As we pray for things, to pray and proclaim victory before we ever see it physically. And so Mary's proclaiming this victory that would be Jesus. She's worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, convincing her emotions to go along with the Spirit. Why? Because she realized what God had done for her. Worship is less to do with our emotional state and more to do with realizing what God has done for us. That by His grace, by His mercy, He has saved me, set me apart, changed things in my life that I couldn't change myself. And so what choice do I have but to worship Him? Now, Mary goes on with these verses that often are called the Magnificat, which comes from the this Latin word for magnificent. And they are magnificent words that Mary shares this song. But remember with me, she is... Uh, likely a 14 or at most a 15-year-old girl who is engaged to be married and now finds herself pregnant by the Holy Spirit, no doubt terrified. And yet she quotes this beautiful song, quoting from uh, Psalms, Jeremiah, Isaiah, 1 Samuel, and Genesis. Here Mary hits, she hits the Psalms, she hits the prophets, she hits the books of history, she hits the law, she hits all five components of the Old Testament. And as I was reading through this this week considering it, do you realize that very likely, not, not known for sure, but very likely Mary, given her social status and being a female in that day and age in Israel, she was illiterate. She very likely could not read. And then you consider what she has just spoken in light of knowing that she very likely could not even read God's Word. How then was she able to do this? And the only logical explanation I can give you is that she was repeating what she had previously heard. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I give what I have first received. You cannot give it if you've not first received it. And so Mary was likely repeating things that she had heard, most likely in her home. That the Word of God must have been spoken and sung and repeated. It was probably on the walls, over the doorposts. It was everywhere surrounding her, inside the place that she grew up. Her parents probably read Scripture, sung Scripture, prayed over her. She was being prepared long before Luke chapter 1 to be the mother of Messiah. God had put her exactly where He wanted her. And in fact, Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. His word was hidden in her heart. She was repeating the things that had been lodged in there. And then I wonder how many things I have in my heart and in my head that have been lodged in there from years ago that I I struggle to even get out. We know the power of song and the power of word, right? There's a reason why an entire generation of us can go, this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel-Air. I can keep going. You all want me to stop, right? Those words, they get lodged in there. And so in this spot, Mary has had the words of God lodged into her heart. And God's Word is powerful. What did we just read? It's in here that I might not sin against you. His Word can actually prevent us and those that live with us from sin, from sinning and continuing in that. And so the Word of God was everywhere, and it caused me to ask this question this week, and that is, am I worried about my children as much spiritually as I am physically? Right? We think about how much we worry about our kids We don't want them to go play in the road. Well, unless you live where I live on a cul-de-sac, we tell them to go play in the road. But for the most part, we don't tell them to go play in the road. Why? Because we're worried about their physical state. But do we put the same value on where they're at spiritually? Do we worry about where they're at, how they're doing? Do we think about, consider what they're reading, what they're listening to, the words that they hear from me, which is usually the most condemning of all? Do I consider what they hear from yours truly. And so it's convicting, and yet it left me with this. And this is an original of mine. You can write it down. Uh, After I say it, you'll know that I came up with it because this is all the more complicated I can come up with and think. If you want to raise godly children, be godly. If you want to raise godly children and godly grandchildren, then be godly. That's all the harder this is. And so for Mary, she obviously had godly parents. In fact, according to Bible history, they believe her mother's name was Anne. And if you go to Jerusalem to this day, there is a chapel there called the Chapel of St. Anne right outside the Temple Mount next to the Pool of Bethsaida with the most beautiful architecture. And inside, it has perfect pitch architecturally. And so people from all over the world come just to sing Probably like Mary's mother, Anne, sang to her a beautiful word. I even sound good inside the, temple, inside the, the cathedral of St. Anne. And so, we see this key to raising godly children is for us to be godly. Now, continuing here in verse 70, or wherever I was, verse 56. Thank you. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. And now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But verse 60, his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. God's Word had come to pass. It's important to note that according to Jesus, every one of God's words is going to come to pass. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, this is what Jesus says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot and one tittle by no means will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. A jot and a tittle is basic punctuation. What Jesus is saying is He cares so much about His Word, even the punctuation is going to take place, as He said. He's that into detail. And so what we see is God's Word coming to pass in the life of Elizabeth and Zacharias. They've now given birth to this child who would be John the Baptist, but as family and friends gather in and the child is to be named, what do they they have for him? But hey, let's name the kid Zach Jr., That's obviously what this kid's name should be. But but Elizabeth would have none of it. In fact, verse 60, very confidently what she says is, His name shall be called John. And so she doesn't want to hear any argument about it because this is what God's Word had said. She believed in what God's Word was that was given to her. Now verse 61, And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father as to what uh, he would have him called. And so now they're giving signs to Zacharias, which gives us some indication that maybe Zacharias not only couldn't speak, but as the King James said, he was rendered dumb. He perhaps couldn't hear either. That maybe both Zacharias' speech and his hearing had been taken away. And all this as a side note, I wanted to mention, if we do not believe, we will have nothing of value to share. But at some point, if we do not uh, share the things that God has given us, at some point, we'll no longer be able to hear from God. That it, the way it works is like this. Um, in Israel, the, the Jordan River begins up in the area of Dan. It's called the Jordan because that's where it proceeds from. And it flows into the Sea of Galilee where it's teeming with life. The sea is actually a freshwater lake full of fish, full of life. The Jordan River then proceeds out of the Sea of Galilee, down along the border between Jordan and Israel, and eventually winds up in the Dead Sea, where it is very dead. The deadest spot in all of the earth. Uh, Hundreds of feet below sea level, uh, so high in saline content that if you get any of it in your eye, you could go blind. It's that dead. And so what we find is it's dead because it has fresh water coming in, the same water that came out of the Sea of Galilee, and yet it has no outlet. And this is how it is for us. When we only take in and we don't give any out, we can eventually become dead. At some point in time, we stop hearing, we stop being able to communicate, and there is no life in us. But what God has encouraged us to do is to have rivers, torrents of living water flowing from us as we hear and we get the opportunity to share, share the word given from His Word, we become alive again. It, the results are life Happens in our life. Now continuing in verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet. This is Zacharias. And he wrote, he wrote saying his name is John. And so all marveled. And immediately his mouth was open. And his tongue loosed. And he spoke praising God. Zacharias we've just got done railing on. Because he lacked faith. But what you see in his life is God gives him something that most of us are thankful for, another chance. He gives him another opportunity to exercise faith. He gives him a second, a third, a fourth chance to exercise faith. And this one, Zacharias is not going to miss. He writes on the tablet, his name is John. This name in Hebrew means God is gracious. If anyone understood the grace of God at this point, it was Zacharias. God has been gracious to me. And as we consider tests that we receive from God, it's important to note God doesn't give uh, fill-in-the-blank. He doesn't give multiple choice. God gives pass-fail tests. Thank God for that. He gives pass-fail. If we pass, good news, we move on to another test. But if we fail, we continue to get that test again and again and again until we pass. And so Zacharias has now gotten this opportunity, and he's not going to miss it. He's going to pass this test. And notice with me when he passes the test and he spoke in verse 64, praising God. What are the first things that come out of his mouth once he's passed this test? Now for months he's been deaf and mute, not able to speak, hear, communicate. He can't wait to complain. No, he can't wait to praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He can't wait to praise God. And what we see in his life is one who has properly received discipline as god disciplines us it should lead us to a place of praise there's a big difference between a conviction which leads us to god and condemnation which draws us away from god in this spot he's been convicted he's been disciplined but it's leading him towards god and he's realized what the writer to the hebrews communicates is that we are sons if we've been disciplined verse 5 of hebrews 12 says Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, saying, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons." Furthermore, we have had human fathers who correct us and paid them respect, shall not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of holiness. Now no chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As Zacharias received the discipline that he had due to him from the Lord, and then he had been forgiven from it, he had had passed this test. What proceeded from his mouth was the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Thank you, God. He realized his failure. Realize the grace of God, and now he cannot wait to proclaim his name. He cannot wait to serve him. doesn't mean he wants to go back and repeat that test. When we think about tests we've endured, there's no way we want to go back there. But how thankful are you for the grace of God when he sees you through it and helps you to learn from it? And so Zechariah is in this spot where he can't wait to serve the Lord In fact, he continues here in verse 65, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was on him. And now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Remember, it's been 400 years since the book of Malachi. 400 years since there had been a prophet in Israel to communicate the words of God to the people. And now here, because Zacharias exercised faith, even imperfect faith, he exercised faith in what God had said, he receives a prophetic word. He receives a word, and the dry spell is about to be over for the nation of Israel. And so he's received this word, but when we begin to read here in just a minute, the words of Zacharias, you're going to notice something. It's all about Jesus. His words, the prophetic word, are all about Him. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1 states this, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Through Him also He made the world's who being of the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. That in these days, it was all about Jesus. And when we begin to study Uh, back in Genesis and work our way through that beautiful thousands of years old Hebrew text, what you're going to find is it was always all about Jesus. What Jesus would say to the Pharisees who searched and searched Scriptures in John chapter 5, hoping that in them that they would find life, He says, these are they which speak of Me. That throughout all the Scriptures, every page, it was all pointing to about And Jesus existed in and through all of them. And so Zacharias is going to proclaim his name here beginning in verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies From the hand of all who hate us, and perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Here he's pronouncing this beautiful prophecy over a child that is yet to be born speaking all these things about the unborn Christ, that He would be the horn of our salvation. Horns in the Old Testament are always a picture of strength. Who would save us from our enemies. Our biggest enemy is ourselves. Our own sin nature. He would deliver us from our sin nature that damned us. He would perform mercy. That is compassion in action. Jesus would actually tell these same Pharisees, quoting from Hosea chapter 6, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. (laughs) I need it. He would uh, remember His covenants, fulfilling the old covenant, and uh, giving the new covenant. And what's amazing about all this is Zacharias had never met Jesus. (laughs) He'd never even met this child. He hadn't, like you and I, had all the New Testament Scriptures, and yet he still praised Him, yet he still worshipped Him, he still spoke of Him. Why then is it such a struggle for me? Why do we struggle so badly to praise Him, to worship Him, to speak of Him? I'll leave that there for a minute. (laughs) Verse 76 Now turning his attention to his child, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord and prepare His ways. John the Baptist was given a specific ministry by God to prepare the world for the first coming of Jesus. He was to prepare a way for Jesus to show up on the scene, and that's exactly what he did. But similarly, for us as a church, We've been given a calling by God not to prepare the world for His first coming, but to prepare the world for His second coming, for His return. But similarly to John, we've got these, these ministries that we can exercise as we prepare the world for His second coming. Three things in particular before we wrap up. Beginning in verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. What is the first way that we can actually have a ministry similar to John the Baptist? We can give information to the world at large. But not just any old information, specifically the information that is the gospel. The good news that Jesus has come, that He has freed us of our sins, that He has risen from the dead and you, dead in your sin and trespass, can now have life in Him. That's not just good news, that's great news. And it's not because of any great work you've done or how super awesome you are, it's because of His mercy. That's getting what I do not deserve. And because of His grace, that's, uh, that's, excuse me, mercy is not getting what I do deserve. His grace is, Getting what I do not deserve, but not by any works. In fact, what Paul would say to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, is this Ephesians two eight, I'll read verse eight and nine for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Because of his grace we've been saved. Through just Faith, believing in Him. We, we can have salvation through believing in Him. It's His mercy and His grace that we are saved. Secondly, we are called, in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in the darkness, in the shadow of death. Secondly, we are called to be a light to a very dark and getting darker at a rapid pace world. We are called to be a light. And what you know about a light in a dark room is it doesn't take a very bright light to light up the entire room. That for you, even though you may think you're a dim bulb, you dim bulbs can light up a whole room as you enter into it. And so the encouragement here is to just be a light to the world around you. Now many of you would say, I don't know what to do. What light do I have to give? How can I be a light to the world? Here's how Psalm 119 again, but this time verse 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How can you be a, a light spot for a dark and dying world? By being a light, a lamp unto the feet. Not you, but the Word that is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How can we provide light? We provide light by providing the Word. The place where light actually Exists, the one where light comes from. He is the light of the world. And so, if we're going to give a word, if we're going to give a piece of advice to someone in their life, my encouragement to you would, would be make sure that thing is bathed in prayer and rooted in the word. That anytime people give me a, a word that they've got, if it's not rooted in Scripture, I'm immediately leery of it. I wonder what value there actually is in that word because it sounds an awful lot like the wisdom of man, and I know where that ends. And so to give people a word from God, to give them encouragement like what we just read from Ephesians 2.10, that they are workmanship, that they're a poema of God created for good works before even time began. And so to give words like that of encouragement, it's light in a lost and dying world. Lastly, thirdly, what we are called to do as we minister is to guide our feet into the way of peace. We are to provide direction to people. As John ministered, he provided direction. And so often what I get as a question as a pastor is this, what's God's direction for my life? How should I walk? What way should I go? And what this scripture says is we are to guide the feet in the way of peace. When we give guidance, is it the way? Is it the path of peace? In fact, what Paul says in Colossians chapter uh, three, verse uh, four, 15, excuse me. Colossians 3:15 says this: "And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. So as we give the Word as a lamp, the word then becomes the peace of God that dwells in their hearts, which rules over your hearts." This word rule is the same word in the Greek if they would have had umpires back in the day to officiate, to rule. And so literally as we, as we invite the Spirit to dwell in our hearts and God to live in our hearts, to rule over our hearts, He becomes that, that umpire at the Little League game. The one that's too emphatic about things. You know, the, the save Out! You've got to get that thing out of your life. And so as I present things to the Lord, He can tell me, This is safe for you. You need to get this thing out. You better cut that thing out. It's not safe for you. We have Him to rule in our hearts. And what's amazing is this. As we pursue righteousness, it begins to go rightly. When we don't pursue righteousness, nothing seems to go right. But as I pursue righteousness, Righteousness. Right living with God. Allowing Him to make the calls in my life if something is good or bad for me. Trusting Him in that, it begins to go rightly, amazingly enough. All that speaks to our ministry we are to have as we welcome Jesus for His second coming into this world. In verse 80 as we wrap up, "...so the child grew and became strong in the Spirit." and was in the deserts until the day of his manifestation to Israel. And so we see the story of John the Baptist welcomed into the world, called to turn people to Jesus, to turn people to repent and come back to him. And yet as you continue to read on the story, most of you know for John the Baptist, while this was his calling, what he did not do was fit in. He was weird. By the world's standards, wearing camel hair, eating bugs, out in the wilderness. He was a crazy man by everybody's standards. And what while we are called to minister in this way for Jesus' second coming, I'm not suggesting camel hair. I don't think that's ever going to be in style. Probably wasn't in style for John, still not in style for you and I. I don't think we need to eat bugs. But what I wanted to communicate with you is as you press into Jesus, as He changes things in your life, as you begin to minister to the world around you, do not expect to fit in. If you're expecting to fit in, you're going to be sorely disappointed. The more He separates us and sanctifies us, the more things are not going to fit around us. It's not going to make sense. The things we used to do are not going to make sense anymore. The ways we used to live, we're going to wonder why we ever tolerated that. The things that are happening in the people's lives around us are going to break our heart, not just make us angry at them. It's going to be moving in a way. Why? Because you were called into this life. In fact, where I wanted to end today, and I promise I'm done, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, which says this, You a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is your calling in this room as a believer in Jesus, to be a holy people a royal priesthood, a set-apart people. The old King James says, uh, a peculiar people. You all are going to be peculiar to the the world around you. They're going to look at you and go, man, they are peculiar. And yet, you are a people that were not of God, and yet you now are of God. You didn't know His mercy, and yet now His mercy rules and reigns in your life. What's He speaking to? None other than your testimony what God has done in your life. How He has changed you from the inside out. And that will be the thing that blows people away. It's the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony that changes the course of people's lives. We get to share God's story in our life. Not, it's not our own creation. It's all Him. It's Him doing it in our lives. You were once not a people, but now you're a people of God. Had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so we no longer fit in because we weren't made to fit in. We no longer are a part because we actually have a residence that is not rooted in these temporary places that we all know are about to evaporate, but they're rooted and grounded in heavenly places. And so, Father, we thank you. And we praise you that we were not a people, and yet now we are a people. Lord, we openly admit it is not easy all the time to stand out. But Lord, we are so very thankful for your mercy. And as we go further and further with this lost and dying world all around us, Lord, please have mercy on them. Please extend the mercy that you've extended to us, to them. Let them see you high and lifted up. Repent and turn from their sin and turn towards you so they might be saved. Many of them are a part of our families that we're going to see here in just another week. Lord, help us to not be as indignant as maybe what we have been in the past towards them and be far more heartbroken for them. Lord, help our story to actually be something that stands out, to be something that people look at and go, man, they there's something different about them. They don't seem to fit like they used to. They don't communicate like they used to. There's something that has changed, and I want to know more about it. To the world that aren't called, we're going to stink like death. But to those who are called, we're going to smell like life. Lord, help us to smell like life to the people you've put in our path, to those that you've put in our sphere of influence, Lord. Thank you, Father, that here in just a few minutes we're going to get to share together in baptism. There couldn't be a more standing out thing than that. To be baptized. To bury the old. To raise up the new. To put off the old man. To put on the new man or woman as it were. Thank you for the story that is baptism. The picture that we get to walk in your footsteps. To be set apart. Help us Lord. We need you. In Jesus name.